This is the Liberty on Fire podcast, and I am your host, Libertarian Tony. So this is going to be another Quick Hits in the News episode. I could have done this as a joint episode with conservative Joey, but we talked about it ahead of time, and he really liked the notes I had on the topic, and we decided that I was just going to roll this out myself. So for today, I really want to get into this whole Russian collusion story and what really happened, what happened behind the scenes, and what was this story really all about. It's such an important topic that I'm also going to post a blog about it on our website, libertyonfire.org. So please check it out if you would rather read about this story than listen to it in a podcast. So to start out, I want to go backwards in time. In 2012, President Barack Obama was overheard on a hot mic telling President Dmitry Medvedev of Russia that he would have more flexibility to negotiate with Putin after the election. Also, there was the 2010 Uranium One deal that gave Russia more control over a uranium supply in the U.S. And although these two events are important, I don't think they really play into the narrative that I'm going to weave for you today. In my opinion, this all goes back to a couple of things in the recent past, one of which involves Obama and Hillary with the Benghazi incident, and also, of course, the infamous issues surrounding the Clinton Foundation, and in particular, the millions of dollars that Bill and Hillary collected in their pay-to-play operation. Okay, so Hillary Clinton, who only cares about power, was Secretary of State from 2009 to 2013. And in 2012, we had the attack on Benghazi, which got four Americans killed. You can probably remember the fallout and the fake narrative that the Obama administration put out with Susan Rice going out on all the talk shows and networks. And remember, she said the attack was due to some sort of anti-Muslim video, which came out like a year earlier. Uh, In the background, during uh, Hillary Clinton's Secretary of State position, she and her husband were collecting millions of dollars for their foundation and selling privileges to people around the world for some sort of influence that she might have as, you know, president in 2016. Okay, so back to Benghazi. The talking points about the video just didn't smell right to a lot of people, and Congress in 2014, I I believe with a uh, special house committee, and a whole bunch of activist groups, they both looked into it. The activist groups filed for um, Freedom of Information Act requests, those are FOIA requests, to get a copy of the emails and you know traffic going back and forth uh, around this time. Now this ended up leading to evidence that Hillary Clinton did not use the mandatory government email system for sending emails or classified information, that she had her own private email server in her house, and that her emails might not be that secure, and that she sent and received likely classified information using the system, and that she had been hacked multiple times. Now, all this information didn't come out all at once. It took a long time for a lot of this to develop and come out in bits and pieces. So, Although this story I'm going to try to weave has some, I guess, chronological sense to it, you have to really keep in mind that none of this 
came out all at once, and it wasn't as if somebody just wrote a novel and gave you all the information that you could read in a 300-page book. Okay, so now let's go back and talk about the underlying issue. Obviously, this had nothing to do with a video. Obama and Hillary were using Benghazi to send guns and arms into Syria and arm al-Qaeda and ISIS, which is treason, by the way, to fight against Assad. Now, you probably remember all the talk about, uh, from these two about Assad being a bad guy and he has to go. Many people believe Assad brought the Obama wrath down upon himself by not allowing a certain oil or gas pipeline to go through his country. So the easiest way to get this pipeline built was to topple another dictator. So Obama and Hillary had thought. They committed treason and armed sworn enemies of the United States in order to make this attempted coup a reality. But, as we can see thus far, they weren't successful. The emails not surfacing the way you would expect them to is basically a cover-up to protect Obama and Hillary's war crimes. Now, despite all the requests for her several years' worth and thousands of emails, there was no way Obama and Hillary could let this information come out. So this led to the very slow trickle of emails that Hillary released. She had to have someone go through all the emails and make sure there was nothing in there to incriminate herself, uh, her foundation, or President Obama. So she erased everything that was worrisome, only kept what she, you know, what she didn't think was horribly corrupt, and trickled out emails and small releases, just enough to keep people on the left satisfied and the people on the right aggravated. All of this was going on while she started her campaign run for president. Anyway, the media and special house committee all talked about the emails for months and months. Eventually, FBI Director James Comey got involved and started investigating the email issue in August of 2015. You also probably remember during a DNC presidential debate in October 2015, Bernie Sanders said, enough with your damn emails. That made him look pretty weak and probably helped him lose the nomination, you know, despite what was going on in the background of Hillary colluding with the DNC to uh, take over the nomination. Anyway, I don't want to get off track. Now we need to switch over to Trump for a minute. So we have this Trump dilemma, which started to show its face. Trump was knocking off all the Republican nominees left and right in 2015. And he was saying things like fake news, Bush lied us into war, build a wall, Hillary should go to jail, he could be friends with Russia and get along with Putin. All of these things, of course, I thought were good, and apparently so did millions of others. Well, people on the inside, the deep state, didn't like where this was going. And around this time, the firm Fusion GPS was hired. I believe, in December of 2015. Uh, Fusion GPS is a shady political analysis firm. Now, this leads up to a few months later when Carter Page was appointed foreign policy advisor in March of 2016 for Trump's campaign. Carter Page is actually a former Navy officer and was painted as a Russian agent by these people uh, in the deep state in order for Obama and Hillary and DNC to spy on the Trump campaign. Well, how could they legally spy on Trump? Now enters the Steele dossier. 
So in the spring of 2016, you had this law firm, Perkins Cole, which was, uh, which was eventually paid by the DNC in the Hillary campaign, a little bit of an accounting maneuver there. By June of 2016, Fusion GPS hires Christopher Steele to write the fake Trump dossier. Additionally, in June 2016, Trump Jr. and Manafort met with a Russian lawyer, Natalia something or other, who supposedly had dirt on Hillary. This really didn't look right. In fact, it kind of looked like a big setup. And we spoke about this on a prior podcast. And to make things even more interesting, around the end of June early and early July 2016, tons of Hillary emails from the periods around 2010 to 2014 were released by WikiLeaks. Now remember, the whole time, the FBI and James Comey are supposed to be investigating Hillary in the background to see if she had sent and received classified information of, uh, or sent and received classified information illegally. So of course, this leads up to the infamous meeting between Loretta Lynch and Bill Clinton at the end of June 2016. Do you recall when Bill Clinton met Lynch on a tarmac of whatever airport that was? And I think they said they discussed golf and their grandkids or something. Well, obviously, Bill asked her to pressure Comey to kill the email investigation. And of course, in July 2016, James Comey comes out and says that Hillary did some bad shit, but it was unintentional and they wouldn't prosecute her for it. So now around September or October of 2016, the FBI ended up getting FISA warrants, so the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, that's what FISA stands for. They got these FISA warrants using this fake Steele dossier to spy on Carter Page and the Trump campaign. And of course, no one told the FISA court judge that the dossier was paid for by Hillary and the DNC. So early in uh, November of 2016, James Comey did something pretty odd. He came out and said that he or the FBI were looking into Hillary's emails again. And this was like two weeks before the election. So sometime between, I guess, this announcement by James Comey, this flub, and the presidential election, I believe John Podesta and the Clinton team cook up Plan B, which is the Russia collusion plot, just in case Hillary lost. But I bet you they thought they never actually were going to use it. Trump wins the election in 2016 and all hell breaks loose. People are crying on live TV, pulling their hair out, calling for a recount, talking about secession. I mean, it was pretty hilarious. Additionally, we've learned about another Plan B going on in the background as well. And this is regarding a little love affair between two Trump haters, FBI agent Peter Strzok and a Mueller team lawyer, Lisa Page. Thousands of texts were captured between them during a period, I think, of like August 2015 to December 2016 about how much they hated Trump and what to do if he got elected. Some of the texts talked about an insurance policy in case Hillary lost. And here is also something interesting, and I bet a lot of people probably don't know this, Peter Strzok also worked on the Hillary Clinton email investigation. Okay, so back to Trump winning. He becomes president, and then there is an issue with General Flynn and Russia. 
the deep staters use this as more confirmation of a uh, collusion story. Eventually, Flynn gets ousted, and Trump asks Comey to drop the investigation on him because he really hasn't done anything wrong and is just being dragged through the mud. And I'm not really going to go into any more details on this because Flynn is really just another tragedy in this whole Russia collusion story. But many people's lives have been ruined and severely affected by this whole fake tale. So let's fast forward now to May 9th, 2017. Trump fires Comey as FBI director. And Andrew McCabe becomes the acting FBI director as he was the deputy director at the time. Andrew McCabe met with Attorney General of the United States, Rod Rosenstein, and they end up talking about somehow using the 25th Amendment to remove Trump from office. This has the hatchings of a coup attempt on Trump that we spoke about in podcast episode 4. Eight days later, May 17th, Rod Rosenstein appoints Robert Mueller to special counsel to investigate Trump and his campaign for Russian collusion leading up to the election and for obstruction of justice afterwards. This is how the Mueller investigation get, uh, got started, end of May 2017, all the way up to now, which is concluded in March of 2019. Between Mueller starting the investigation and now, a lot more has happened. Andrew McCabe went back to being deputy director of the FBI after Chris Ray was appointed as director in August of 2017. McCabe ended up being fired by Jeff Sessions in March of 2018, I think for leaking sensitive information to the press or something similar. Late in 2018, the Lisa Page and Peter Strzok texts and plan start to get revealed. Neither of them felt like there was any Russian collusion. The Senate Intelligence Committee report came out in January 2019 and said there was no Russia collusion. Cohen testifies before Congress in the end of February 2019 and also said there was no, uh, no collusion. And probably more importantly, he said he had never been to Prague, and this really helped shoot a hole in this fake Steele dossier, which said that he went there to meet with Russian delegates. Then Nancy Pelosi in March of 2019 said they would not seek impeachment. Obviously, she had some uh, inside information about the whole Mueller report. Otherwise, impeachment wouldn't have been taken off the table. So basically, this brings us up to present day with the Mueller report. After almost two years, millions of dollars, over 2,800 subpoenas, 500 search warrants, and over 500 witnesses interviewed, and nearly an entire Trump team, or I should say an entire anti-Trump team backed by 40 FBI agents, analysts, and other experts, their conclusion was that the special counsel investigation did not find that the Trump campaign or anyone associated with it conspired or coordinated with Russia in efforts to influence the 2016 presidential election. Boom. This is a huge political victory for the president and a huge mainstream media and democratic political screw-up. So let's think about some of the recent mainstream media and political screw-ups. So obviously, we have Russiagate. There is the Covington uh, Catholic School incident in D.C. Uh, the media also said that Michael Cohen was ordered by Trump to obstruct justice, which was false. 
the media said that Manafort met with Julian Assange, uh, and of course the whole uh, Jesse Smollett hate crime hoax. The reason I'm pointing all these things out is that all these screw-ups and lies really hurt people's confidence in the mainstream media, and of course, well, I think this is great, all these fake stories also hurt people's confidence in the Democratic Party and many politicians in general, which, again, as a libertarian, I also think is great. We have to stop asking these people for the truth, for their opinion, or for their take on a situation. Our trust has been eroded, and for good reason. We need to turn off the hyperbolic channels, ignore the fake news media, stop watching, stop giving them advertising revenue, stop looking to them for answers, and start thinking for ourselves. We also need to stop voting for anyone that might even be slightly untrustworthy, which is probably like 99% of the politicians. This lack of interest in a completely biased media and most of the anti-liberty, anti-freedom politicians will, over time, cause a culture shift. And the practice of putting these politicians and so-called journalists on a pedestal will come to an end. Politics is downstream of culture. Maybe if this happens on a large enough scale, then people will stop looking to government for solutions and start empowering themselves and take charge of their lives, hopefully on a local level and a local scale. All politics should be local, in my opinion. Government should be local, literally right around where you live, so you can actually affect the changes that you see every day. Expecting to have someone represent you, as well as millions of other people in Washington, is really laughable. The media and 99% of the politicians only care about themselves. Think local, act local, as Brian McClanahan likes to say in his podcast. Now to sum up, most of the Russian collusion story is just a big smokescreen or an attempt at some sleight-of-hand magic to get you to look in one direction while the real issues are hidden under the table, or, as in this case, up the long and dirty sleeves of Obama and Hillary. Is this whole thing over? Well, I think impeachment and further indictments likely are. But the lamestream media and many politicians will still peddle this false narrative because, frankly, they have to. In some of their minds, they just can't accept that Trump beat Hillary without cheating somehow. As far as the politicians who will continue to tout the Russian collusion story, well, they think this will help them score more points and votes than not using it. It's a simple mathematical calculation for them. So that's it, guys. That's all I have for you this week on this Quick Hits in the News episode. I really hope I did an okay job kind of going through the timeline of what's happened over the several uh, past, or past couple of years and the real reasons why I think all this went down. Thank you very much. Well, that will do it for today. Thank you all for listening to the Liberty on Fire podcast. Please do me two favors. Number one is to share the show. Remember that we want to continue to advance the message of individual liberty and sharing and growing the show is one of the best ways to do that. The second favor is to subscribe Rate and review the show on iTunes. A five-star rating is much appreciated. Also, please check out our website, libertyonfire.org. And until next time, let's keep those fires of liberty burning bright. Yeah.